know is just a conversation starter. I couldn't be doing the work I do without believing that change is possible and actually seeing that. So what we say is Eskimos have a thousand words for snow. We've heard a thousand words for no. And yes, you're going to be able to change and rise to your best possible self. Today's podcast is about addiction in the family and invitations to change positively. I'm interviewing the one and only my mother, Dr. Louise Stanger, who I also call Wheezy. Dr. Stanger is a licensed clinical social worker, a certified Daring Way facilitator. She studied with Brene Brown in Australia. She's a certified sex addiction therapist, a former college professor, three-time published author, internationally renowned clinician, interventionist, speaker, and she's an expert on mental health, addiction, process disorders, and chronic pain. She was literally the 2019 Interventionist of the Year from DB Resources in London and McLean Hospital, which is an affiliate of Harvard. She's won countless awards. Dr. Stanger recently published her third book. It's called Addiction in the Family, Helping Families Navigate Challenges, Emotions, and Recovery, and it's published by Rockridge Press. It released to the public this past Thanksgiving. Addiction affects a lot of families, and in this pandemic, a lot of people have turned to substances to get through it. So in this show, my mom and I talk a little bit about her background and why this field is so important to her having grown up in an alcoholic family herself. After that, we get into addiction, what it is, how to start when helping yourself or a family member with addiction, and some practical strategies to help you navigate making positive changes in your own lives and for the lives of your family. Interviewing a parent is a real gift, and it's also a first for me. So listen all the way to the end as we really find our flow. We get into practical tools to cope, real solutions. There's some joking and laughter and personal stories. And at the very end, I share a little bit about her book and my review. Enjoy. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Vitamin Joy. All right, Dr. Louise Stanger, Ma, welcome to Vitamin Joy. Thanks, Shelby. I'm really excited to be here. This is just the best Thanksgiving Day gift. Well, it's not a gift. I mean, you just wrote a book, Addiction in the Family. Like, this is legit, Mom. I'm, I'm really stoked to talk about this because... Addiction is something a lot of us struggle with, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners, and not being addicted is joyful. So I want to start really quickly at the beginning. How did you get into studying addiction? Um, so I grew up in a family that had substance use disorder, mental health, anxiety, and depression, and I was really interested in learning more about that. And as a young lecturer at San Diego State University School of Social Work, I was given the opportunity to create the first graduate seminar in alcohol and other drugs when the law required social workers, marriage and family counselors, psychology students to take a course. So before there wasn't, you didn't have to take a course on alcohol and drugs. That's right. No licensed professional had to take a course. And so the law switched sometime in the 80s. And my job, which was a gift, was to develop this course. And along the way, in the beginning, we would bring in fabulous guest lecturers. Okay, so you created this first course on alcohol and drugs. And at the time, in the 80s, like, was it just accepted 
we're we're very aware of what alcoholism is now, but in the eighties, were people aware or no? So in the beginning, when I started teaching, absolutely not. You would not have as many people raise their hand in a class that said, "My life has been affected by someone I love that has alcohol and other drug problems." Today, one out of every three families, or one out of every three persons, will raise their hand and say, "I know someone." that I care about, that has experienced a substance use, mental health, or process disorder. Yeah, I mean, that gamut is so big now. You know, we used to think addiction was just people addicted to alcohol. And when you think of that, I used to think it just meant, oh, well, they sit and they drink beers starting at 6 a.m. But alcoholism can look totally different. There's pill addiction. There's cell phone addiction i mean there's gambling addiction what i guess during the pandemic what have you been seeing lately when it comes to addiction so there there is an increase um in terms of the statistics in the consumption of alcohol um, both hard liquor and beer during the pandemic there has been a rapid increase so for example in new york of marijuana deliveries, cannabis deliveries. In addition, there's no secret that we have had an opioid crisis in the United States, which means both prescription and non-prescription drugs. Um, I would say opioids, prescription drugs, alcohol still remains number one. Cannabis, and of course, smoking, cigarettes, is also a number one drug of choice. People still smoke? Yes. I mean, so weird. Isn't that weird? Because we live in California, and where we live, it's smoke-free, but think about the rest of the world. Um, Philip Morris or all the drug companies are still making money off of cigarettes, and a lot of them, believe it or not, have bought into uh, marijuana factories or marijuana-producing grows and also water. So there's a combination in terms of what they're marketing these days. So interesting. So back to like you and how you got into addiction. Like obviously, well, the audience might not know, listeners might not know, but addiction runs pretty deep in our family. Can you just briefly touch on that if if you feel comfortable? I'm okay with it. So I got involved with addiction because addiction was my second cousin, my relative, my mother, my father, um, mental health was my father, my mother, and so they both struggled with mental health. Everybody struggled with mental health and with addiction. My mother really drowned her sorrows in alcohol, and she was a party girl. She was one of those flappers that was just drop dead gorgeous. And after her father died, probably needed to run wild to find herself. And my father, Sidney Sam Wallach, was just really the nicest, sweetest man with the biggest, bluest eyes. But he was beset with demons, his own mental health demons, his own alcoholism. If I stopped to think about it, he had a mother and father that also died by suicide at age 48. I often wonder... Now as an adult, and he had passed away, by and he suicide. died by suicide at age forty-eight too. And you were eight. I was seven. Oh, and so I mean, how could he have ever survived that? I will say that my mother was very resilient. She was great. She borrowed money and sent me to Camp Wood Echo, and that changed my life. That was an invitation to change for a little girl to have a safe time 
and be nurtured with all the confusion of family. Okay, so let's dive into this. That's really interesting. So grandpa, a real grandpa, died by suicide when you were eight, which is just tragic. And grandma, mm. super fun grandma, laid out by the pool in Waikiki, Hawaii, with a Mai Tai in one hand and a cigarette in the other hand, and a man 20 years younger by her side. Super fun grandma, maybe <laughs> not super fun mom. But she was a super fun grandma. But when you're a kid, you know, your, your, your father had died... Grandma was an alcoholic, remarried Harry. Papa Harry, who was an super alcoholic. fun, but also an alcoholic. And so you went to camp, and camp saved you. What? What? This is so cool because you sent me to camp, and I feel like camp saved me. So, what kind of camp was this? And in the outdoors, really, you know, obviously, I'm a big believer in the outdoors. So it was Camp Wood Echo, and it was owned by Leon and Rose Rubenstein, and he was also the head of the Irene Kaufman Center and a social worker. Funny that I became a social worker. And when I was there, it was safe. I mean, I learned how to do archery. You saw the picture, and I don't mean to digress, but I had shot archery, and it made me feel so powerful. And lo and behold, when I went to Bhutan, I picked up a bow and arrow and hit a bullseye and that might have been 50 or 60 years later. So you were just a kid, like 8, 9, 10 when you went to camp? Mm-hmm. And you would just do archery, sleep And you, in had, bunk you beds. got to shoot rifles. You had to clean horse stables. You had to make your bed with... Um, you in those navy ways that oh you mean you had to you had to make your bed so that it was ship shape yes got it but but the thing was that it was safe and people would love you and they would laugh and there was no no drama it was no drama the only drama was if you chose to be in a play (laughs) that's awesome so that's really interesting how did addiction skip you i mean obviously it hit one of our family members we have i have a sibling who's 15 years sober, which is amazing. But how how did it skip you? So I think I have isms. I think I was so hell-bent on being perfect, which is a really a trait of an adult child of an alcoholic, that I had to do good in school. I had to succeed. I had to work. And my isms were not, I never got turned on with alcohol or, or other drugs, um, but my isms were trying to be perfect. And how? Well, oftentimes um, addiction does skip generations, but it doesn't mean that 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 some of the ways of being, um, because growing up in an alcoholic family, you tend to talk in wheeze. There are no eyes. You tend to finish other people's sentences. God, I'm terrible at that. I still am. Um, and so there are certain things that are what we call enmeshment that happen irrespective of whether or not I ever picked up alcohol or another drug. What does that mean when you said we talk in wheeze? So in sometimes when you grow up in an alcoholic family, you don't know where you start and another person ends. What is that like as an example? Um, We are happy. What if you're not happy? Got it. So you speak for your husband and yourself. You speak for everybody. Okay. Maybe... Because I'm the youngest, I was really scared to use drugs and alcohol, and I found sports, and I just don't like feeling out of control of my body, but it skipped you. For whatever reason, like, you didn't get that addiction gene. Well, I think that when you look at addiction, I think the best definition of addiction is produced by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, September 2020, and what it says is 
Alcoholism or addiction is a brain disease. It hijacks our brain and has us attached to different kinds of people, places, things, thoughts, feelings, and actions. It affects our physical well-being oftentimes, our social well-being, and our emotional well-being. Recovery is the ability to reattach in healthy ways. I have a lot of questions there, but I think we should keep going because people experience addiction in different ways. And, you know, your book right now is Addiction in the Family. So right now we're still in the pandemic. We just had Thanksgiving. We're going into Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, and we're probably seeing our family in some ways. And if not, we're interacting with them on some level. So like, how do you deal or even start to deal with family when there's addiction in the family? So when someone calls me up, their hearts are hurting. And I always try and listen to them. If they're a family member, what are they worried about? What are their fears? And what are their hopes for the loved one? And what have they done in order to set healthy boundaries or refer them for help? And so it's very hard right now in a pandemic because so many people are living together. Yeah, I mean, I've had friends actually get divorced during the pandemic, which is sad, but like you either make it or break it right now. And and a lot of people I know, I actually just met with a woman who has a a child and she's like, oh yeah, my husband's a functioning alcoholic. And I was like, uh, okay, that's, that's not good. And she's like, oh, it's okay. And it was almost like, you know, they're in a pandemic. They've got to raise kids together. No one's moving out right now. So what's the first thing you say to a family member who has someone else in the family struggling with addiction? Like, where do they even start? So I think the place to start is with yourself and take a look and say, why is your heart hurting? What is going on? What have you done that inadvertently aids the problem? And what are you doing to be in the solution? I always tell the families that I work with, there's always hope and there's always a solution. So solutions can look like a lot of things. And I think one of the things that a lot of people think about is treatment center. But not everybody can afford a treatment center. Not everybody can take like 20 days to go somewhere. Maybe you can just talk about some of the solutions and where people start. Well, I think everybody can be invited to change. And so change can take place on many different levels. One, you could be suddenly furloughed from work, not because of the pandemic, but because you actually didn't do your job. It might be referred to an EAP who then gives you a counselor or gives you self-help or support groups to take a look at and help you. The other thing is an invitation to change can come just by driving while under the influence of either alcohol or other drugs. You may get a DUI or you may get um, arrested. You may be court mandated to something. Um, Interventions also or invitations to change also occur in hospitals. Uh, Recently, I'm working with a family where very high-functioning gentleman ended up in the hospital because his alcoholism had affected his breathing in his lungs. Mm. And so those kinds of things can, can affect and can be ways that we can change. The one thing that's really important is what are you doing? Are you aiding and embedding? Are you the one who goes out and buys the liquor? Do you buy the drugs? What part do you play in this scenario and what might you do differently and oftentimes people need safety plans what do i do 
in the midst of a pandemic, if I'm living with someone who has depression, who has anxiety, who is coping with it through drinking, where do I go for help and how can I do it? And there's a lot of free help available through the Substance Abuse Mental Health Administration. Where else is there free help? And, and really quickly, I think it's really interesting. A lot of people cope with anxiety and depression by using alcohol, which is insane because I've drank with anxiety and the next day I feel terrible and it makes your depression so much worse. So just advice to anybody here who, you know, I get it. Like a glass of wine takes the edge off. Maybe you're not an addict, but like it doesn't make you feel better the next day or the day after. So ironically, alcohol is a depressant. So when you mix alcohol with depression, you have the synergistic effect of more depression. Um, If you're trying to take an upper, so you might take Adderall or something, then you mix it because you've got to come down. There's all different ways that people use or abuse drugs in order to self-regulate. And there are many prescription ways or natural pathic ways that can really help you navigate. I think really what's so important is understanding and accepting whatever that person is that comes to you, that they're hurting that they're a wonderful person who have a disease and they are in dis-ease and that there are ways in which we can find solutions together. So the first is recognizing that your loved one has disease. But then how do you approach them, especially if maybe they're in denial about it? So I love... And in this book, I spend a lot of time giving languaging, using I terms, um, opening up what I call the honeycomb of denial. You know, last night, I felt baffled and confused when you screamed and yelled, left the house, and didn't remember where your car was. And you did this when they were sober the next day, not drinking in that. That's right, because you can't. So you need, and then you have to say, but you also have to have a solution. You can't yell, nag, scream, or control and tell someone to give up something unless you have some way to replace it. And the one gift that I would love to give your readership or your listeners is don't go one-on-one with someone who is active in an addiction. The only one that's going to walk away confused is you. It is the reason that invitations to change work so well is they bring together a team which who is really basically guided by love and compassion. We help diffuse the anger because someone's mad because someone did something um, and then offer a solution which would be either you could do something like a 12-step group, you could be doing um, another group, you could be doing a free clinic. I think in San Diego where you are, Jeannie McAllister, McAllister Institute's been around for, God, almost as long as I have, Um, and also the county has facilities as well. Well, listeners are from all over the world listening to this, so I imagine like every county, every country, and, and it varies by country. In New Zealand, I remember mental health intervention, substance abuse intervention is like available with flyers on every bathroom. It was incredible. Um, and, and yes, they have socialized medicine there. So it's different here, you know, certain places accept different forms of insurance. It's not all easy, but I'm, I was confused by one thing you said, you said, uh, when we do invitations to change, is that your 
your methodology or is that if you're approaching anybody? So, well, I think it's my methodology, but it's also everybody's. You know, the word intervention sometimes is a dirty word. People don't like it. They conjure up ideas of ambushes and everything. But truthfully, every day in every way, everybody has the opportunity to invite someone to change and help them rise to their best possible self. I am skilled as a clinician and as an interventionist to help organize that or orchestrate that for families. But but you could do it on your own. Like if I'm in a family and I notice someone got crazy at Thanksgiving and their behavior affected the rest of my family, I would somehow approach them maybe with another family or maybe yeah with well what i would family. do before you approach them is i would have a conversation and get the secret out of the box and say hey look last night at thanksgiving sally or john or somebody acted like this did you see that because not everybody sees what's really going on because in families we have this homostasis we have already there's some benefit for keeping the status quo, even though the status quo is awful because we have a loved one that's acting out. Hmm. And so what the first thing I would do is I would gather the family and say, hey, you know, yesterday I felt frightened, baffled, and confused by Johnny, by Sally, by Sam, whoever it is. How did you guys feel? And listen, just be quiet and listen because that will set the stage. And say, you know what, I love this person. And I remember when we did all these wonderful things together. And now, Sam's just not like that. What can we do as a family to help him? And then come up with a plan um, that makes sense. Because just telling someone to go get help is not enough. You've got to have the phone call. You may have to take them. Maybe, you know, and... There's a whole bunch of steps involved, but there is a solution. And it does take a lot of work on a family member's part, though, to be that bold and that courageous. We're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned as Dr. Louise Stanger, my mom, gets into exactly what you can do to create change, help yourself and or your family members with addiction. There's a new product on the market I've been taking and loving. FX Chocolate is a new supplement company with six different variations, each one lending targeted support to a specific need inside squares of individually wrapped, handcrafted, sugar-free, keto-friendly, dark chocolate. That's right. I don't know about you, but eating chocolate is a pretty enjoyable way to take supplements for me. The packaging is also beautiful and the taste is amazing. All of them come with nutraceutical ingredients like ashwagandha, reishi mushrooms, CBD, GABA, L-theanine, and Inato-E, all designed for specific needs at specific times, including my favorite time, Zen. When you go to their website, which is fxchocolate.com, you can use the promo code vitaminjoy at checkout to get 20% off your first order. These make amazing holiday gifts. I'll be getting some for some of my family members. You can have your chocolate and you can eat it too. Just go to F as in fun, X as in X games, chocolate.com. You all know I care about sleep. That's why I went out and got a brand new mattress and decided to partner with the leader in organic sustainable mattresses. 
They're called Avocado Green Mattress. They sold me when I walked into the store and they not only had kombucha on tap, but they also had cold brew on tap. But most importantly, their mattresses rock. I have a latex mattress right now that's organic, but it caved in in the areas that I sleep and the area my husband sleeps. Organic green avocado mattresses are built to last. The natural hybrid mattresses combine organic latex for contoured cushioning, but they also have about a thousand plus supportive inner springs, all made in the USA from recycled steel, arranged inside in five zones. So your body floats and never sinks. And also motion transfer is reduced. So it keeps your body from your hips to your shoulders, everything to your feet, to your head, all in proper alignment. And you can really roll around on this mattress. It's supportive, it's good for you, and it's really good for the planet. All the mattresses are handmade in California with only the finest, naturally non-toxic and 100% certified organic materials from farms they co-own. The company is also a certified B Corp, they're climate neutral certified, and they're the 2020 Pinnacle Award winner from 1% for the Planet. Avocado green mattresses are better for your health and the planet and better for your sleep. But what happens if the family member doesn't want to change? I think that no is just a conversation starter. I couldn't be doing the work I do without believing that change is possible and actually seeing that. So we have this- do not take no for an answer. No. So I hope you guys are learning a little bit about me too. My mother does not take no for an answer, especially if it comes to an invitation to change to improve your health. So what we say is Eskimos have a thousand words for snow. We've heard a thousand words for no. And yes, you're going to be able to change and rise to your best possible self. Okay, let's talk about invitations to change. I like that phrase, by the way. I'm inviting you to change. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that, you know, what's one thing we can all do right now to invite change? Well, first of all, you have to begin to take care of yourself physically, emotionally, and consistent with your values. So when I work with families, I invite them to do about nine things each week, three things physically, three things emotionally, or three things consistent with their values. And some people say, oh, I don't know what that is. And I love to do this because it's fun. I say the alphabet is from A to Z. Oh, no. Okay? And there's always an F in there. But you can, okay. you can take a look and you can see what can I do physically. F means fun, okay? Fun, that's right. Just F so you know, fun. when I was 13, my mother taught a sex education class And I remember you did this activity. (laughs) You listed the alphabet from A to Z, and you made these 19 to 22-year-old San Diego State party kids recite things that de-stressed them, starting with the letter of the alphabet. And when you got to F, people said the F word, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe my mother is talking (laughs) about humping in class um okay so yeah that's what are three things just give us some examples so physically um think about what do you do i guess i'm gonna ask you that because what do you do running surfing running and yoga okay so for me it is walking um super super fast um walking at night um also cycling when i could do soul cycle i absolutely love that curving on david beckham yeah (laughs) and swimming 
and I can swim where we are today. I can swim a mile. And that's pretty good that's for a 74 year pretty old. Pretty awesome, mom. Yeah. So, but. So, then, what's the other things? Okay. So, the other things are emotionally. So, this year for me personally, I really um, got turned on to abundance. And one of my teammates helped me develop a practice of abundance, which really came from Deepak Chopra's 21 Days of Abundance. Um, oftentimes, meditation, mindful meditation. So, meditation abundance and laughing laughing. being with you but you know so when you talk about emotionally it's calling a friend and just being able to laugh and just being able to tell a secret and then being with my husband being with John you know having hugs from the dogs I mean right now in this pandemic we've been doing a thing that for we like personally and that is we do dinner night so Dinner night is actually watching, binge watching television and having dinner over by the TV. But it's hilarious because we seem to like it. But what you want to do is do three things physically, emotionally, and consistent with your values each week. And that one other thing that I think is so important that everybody do, and that is having a practice of gratitude. Edmonds is a famous researcher in optimism, and it is evidence-based that if you practice gratitude, if you can say three things you're grateful for every day, even to a buddy, and three things at night, it changes your brain chemistry. Mm. So in this new book that I wrote, Addiction in the Family, at the end of every chapter, there's a self-help or self-care activity from breathing, walking, mindful meditating, journaling, um, to practicing gratitude and being of service. Because you know that when we're of service, that's the greatest gift. Like this year has really been hard at Thanksgiving in a pandemic. Last year, I was able to deliver food for Project Angel Food. Oh my God. That was better than any turkey I've ever made. And I make good turkey, or at least I think I do. (laughs) Well, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, helping other people just gets you out of your own head. And it's not, it's for you. I mean, yeah, it helps them, but it's like, it helps you. It feels, there's no better high than helping someone else. So maybe training your addiction for service is, is a good thing. But that's what you do when you practice. I mean, obviously, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Naranon, those are the oldest living 12-step groups. But not everybody likes 12-step. Some people like um, smart recovery. Some people like Buddhist recovery. Um, But there are enough self-support groups that you could find something that you may like. Because you, we live in connection. And the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. I wish we could create human on. So like even if you aren't addicted to a substance, you could go to a self-help group. Because I find them really, really beneficial. Well, I think that there certainly are. I mean, I in my lifetime... I've had the benefit of several different kinds of self-help groups, even from when I got my knee replaced. There was some group that told you how you could learn how to do everything with knee replacement. And then there was a mindfulness group when your brother, who you never had to meet, died of sudden infant death syndrome. We had a self-support group of about three and talking to another mother that had that experience, there's no way. As a young widow, I followed a chat room 
all across the country of young women who had been widowed at a young age. That helped me so much in the research I was doing for my own dissertation, but it also helped me as a human Mm. and a humanoid. But there's a lot of different ways to do it. So for people who have substance misuse problems, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, there's Narnon, but there's a 12-step group for almost everything, for disordered eating, for sexual addiction, you name it, we can find it. That's awesome, Mom. I really appreciate all this. What were some books, you know, besides the one you just wrote, <laughs> which we're going to plug mm. a couple times on this podcast, <laughs> you know, besides this beautiful book that I'm holding up, Addiction <laughs> in the Family, Helping Families Navigate Challenges, Emotions, and Recovery. What are some books that really just shaped you and helped you? The books that shaped me and helped me are, are really three different books. The first one was Sheldon Kopp, If You Meet the Buddha on the Road, Kill Him. And Sheldon Kopp was a psychotherapist. And what he really maintained was as a clinician, as an interventionist, as a human, we're just this little speck of dirt along the way. And the gift we get is for our clients, our children, our loved ones to far surpass us. I've watched students far surpass me. I've watched my children far surpass me. And I've seen my clients really rise to the best possible self. So my job as a clinician is sort of to get fired and to let this, the family grow. I don't want to be with them forever. Oh, I love the fact that on Thanksgiving today, I got so many nice messages from families I work with. But that shows that they've gone on and they've, they're rising to their best possible self. Perhaps the second person that really greatly influenced me is a woman by the name of Dr. Sarah Lawrence Lightfoot. She is African-American and Native American and the only endowed chair at Harvard that when she retires, the chair will revert to her name. She wrote many books. When I was doing my original research on women that were widowed at a young age, I read The Art and Science of Portraiture. And what she taught me was how we can question inquiry with triangulation of data. But what she says is so eloquent about what she is. She will tell you that she's the playwright helping to create the play. She will tell you that she's the therapist who listens. She will tell you that she will laugh and she will weep with you. But most of all, she's going to help you become the person you're meant to be. Let's, this is a little tangent, but I think it's really interesting because you talked to me about portraiture before. When you told it to me, I'm like, it's like 3D therapy. So basically, instead of going to your therapist and just having them like talk at you, I don't really feel like that works anymore. Like, but really portraiture, which you would, way you've explained it to me is you don't go, you don't go to one person. You go to someone's mom, their dad, their coworker, their mm-hmm. teacher, their kid, and you get this like 360 degree approach and view of this person. So you don't just get this biased viewpoint and then you're able to paint a picture of them and help them with the full story. Uh, Absolutely. What I do is I do, it's called family mapping and it's pretty well articulated in my second book, which is the textbook that's going to serve the basis for the University of California, San Diego course. But when we do- I didn't even know you did this. This is so cool. When, well, (laughs) I don't tell you everything, (laughs) but when when we talk about family mapping, it's really, I want to learn every, you want to learn everything about me, say, for example. Well, you might want to interview me, 
But I guarantee you, if you interview yourself, you interview John, my husband, you interview Johnny, your husband, you interview Felicia, your sister, you interview Sydney, your sister, and then you interview, you know, Greg, you are going to get so many different pictures of who I am. And in that, you interview individually. Because if I put you all together in a group, you're going to feel stymied by the other people in the room. But when I work with a family, I start out with family mapping. And it is a pictorial way to learn about someone, what their strengths are, what may have happened to them. And you get this rich, rich data that allows you to really understand and honor the entire family and build on strengths. Because you told me this, something really profound. You said, you know, someone is so much more than their addiction. So you learn about how they may have become addicted to a substance and why it makes sense. But you also learn how much more they are than their disease. Yes, I did. When we think about someone, there's so much more than whatever their addiction is there's somebody's son, there's somebody's daughter, there's somebody's mother, there's somebody's brother. And we have to take a look and say, what happened? And, and let me be clear before your readership or your listeners, people are responsible in their own recovery. It is not, yes, I have a disease. And if I have a disease, then I'm responsible for taking care of myself and nurturing that. So mom, you know, you, you have people that emailed you today like thank you I'm nine years sober thank you my son is not dead thank you I mean you got a lot of emails today I saw your text messages too on your phone well but the kindest one I got was not even someone that I work with it was a mom whose daughter I help go to treatment and the mom had a 35 40 year alcohol problem and all I did and this is someone who got sober on their own did everything. I said, hey, how would you like to enjoy your grandchildren? How would you like to enjoy your daughter? Because honestly, she can't come home again if she's in recovery. And the woman got really grumpy and angry with me. But somewhere along the line, she liked to garden. And this woman that helped her garden, her name was Pearl. And Pearl was 86 years old and in recovery. And so Earlier this week, I got a letter from this mom saying, I now have seven months of recovery. Pearl is my sponsor, and I get to see my daughter and my grandchildren. That's the gift. It's awesome. So, Mom, I ask all my guests on this show, and you're not getting a hall pass from this one. Well, first of all, we'll we'll link to your book and all the beautiful books you recommended. And thank you. I just learned a lot about addiction. I, I think we're going to have you back on and just ask you about your life one day, if that's okay with you. Oh, I'd love to. Um, but what's your vitamin joy challenge for the week to give to listeners? Like what's one thing we can all do? That's And the reason why I say vitamin is I know that we, we have like... It's a little weird because a vitamin's kind of a drug, Mom. But like <laughs> I think of a vitamin as something that's easy to take can make you feel better if you dose it in the right amount but it's like accessible affordable it doesn't cost a lot and maybe it helps a little bit what's like one thing we can do to add a little vitamin joy to our lives I think to be present in your presence I think to actually 
stop, listen, and reflect back when you're with someone, especially when you're with loved ones such as yourself. Oh, Louise, you're so cute. <laughs> um, you can find my mother, Dr. Louise Stanger, at allaboutinterventions.com and get her book, Addiction in the Family. And she even is on Instagram at Dr. Louise Stanger. There's a lot of pictures of grandkids and Teddy and Coco, her labdoodle dogs. And um, I don't know, anything else, Mom? A lot of people right now, they're struggling. They're dealing with addiction. Any words of wisdom to them? I think that on this Thanksgiving and as the holiday season approaches, know that you can walk courageously. Don't confuse temporary for permanent. <laughs> I always say that. And always believe that there is a solution, that there is hope, and that it is possible for you to change. Because I think in the end, nothing changes until we change. And so I'm inviting all of you to take a look at who you are. How do you want your story to be written? And what tools can we help you, give you, so that you can rise to your best possible selves. I love that. Is there anything you want to add that we haven't talked about that you would want to talk about? No, I just want to thank you. It's really an honor to be with you. And I think, uh, you know, in Mothers and Daughters, it's always challenging when you're doing a podcast. And, you know, I'm excited that you, I'm honored that you asked questions about me and what my life was like. And, And I'm really excited that, I think recovery or I think becoming who, you, who you're meant to be, whatever that is, is part of vitamin joy and is joyful. And that on the other side of the mountain, one can create their own joy. Love it. Thank you so much to my mom, Dr. Louise Wheezy Stanger. Not only for being the most epic mom in the world and having me 40 years ago, but for sitting down to do this interview. I really appreciate it. And hey, maybe this is the first of many more interviews to come. To all of you listening, I really hope you enjoyed this podcast and took something from it. Addiction is no joke. I hope you get help. I hope you can invite yourself to make a positive change. Before you tune out, I want to talk a little bit about her book. It didn't come out until Thanksgiving when we recorded, so I was able to read it this past week. And I learned a ton about addiction in the family and what an invitation to change positively looks like. It's a really practical book. There's six easy-to-read short chapters with solutions on what you can do for yourself and a loved one. The book talks about what addiction is, getting treatment, and all the different kinds of treatment. It also talks about recovery, taking care of yourself, and the road forward, which isn't always easy. I'll link to where to get the book along with books my mom recommends in the show notes. Just go to shelbystanger.com forward slash vitamin joy. You can find more about my mom at Dr. Louise Stanger on Instagram and go to her website at allaboutinterventions.com. Special thanks also to Jennifer McCord for the amazing editing of this podcast. This podcast show is a labor of love. It's currently supported by sponsors like FX Chocolate, Avocado Green Mattresses, and, well, my own wallet. So if you like this show, please write a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you're listening to this podcast and tell a friend about it. With that, the Vitamin Joy Challenge this week 
is a Write a Grateful list. Write down every night or do it in the morning three things you're grateful for, and that's a great way to start your day. Also, when you can, be of service to others. You get so much more by giving than you ever get from getting. Okay, I hope you're all finding some grace this holiday season, and I hope you all dose yourself with a little vitamin joy.